Hey, everybody. Welcome to No One Told Me, where we believe hindsight is everything. My name is Callie, and my family just got back into town from a trip to the beach. We spent our fall break in the ocean, which, I mean, honestly, the only downside is the ocean was a little bit chilly, but otherwise, you need to plan your vacations if it is to the beach in the month of October. I'm just, just trust me on this. If there's one thing to take away, well, I hope you take more than this away from this episode, but put this on your list. Go to the beach in October because it's incredible. But it was within the six to seven, almost eight hour drive because when you have an a four and a six year old, you know, why would you want to drive straight through, right? Like you have to get out and do some laps or some squats or something. I don't know, but we took a lot of breaks. Anyways, within this long, very long road trip, I found myself asking, no less than 3,000 times. Are you being kind? Because, you know, to like a four-year-old, kindness is punching your sister in the arm. How is that not kind? You know, you're making your point. But it was within this time together that we got to talk about the difference between kindness and niceness. One is a fruit of the spirit, and one is an expectation. And when that expectation isn't met, how we respond says a lot about who we are. Now, I never really noticed this difference until I got to have a conversation with Sharon Hottie Miller. So I started following her on Instagram probably last year and her just honesty and straightforwardness. It makes you stop and think because usually I'm just scrolling for some some like feel good, you know, reminders or whatever. But this makes you stop and think, Okay. Am I executing on this, right? Like, am I living this out the way that I would want to? We talked not only about kindness versus niceness, but we got to talk about two different ways that insecurities surface in our everyday lives. Because I'm a people pleaser. I want everyone to just be okay. But what happens when like affirmations from your friends or family, or maybe even some some that you find in scripture that are true and good and right, What if that doesn't really do anything for your insecurities? Well, maybe it's because your insecurity is showing up in a different way. We got to talk about that and the difference between authentically pursuing Jesus and just maintaining appearances. This conversation is just full of so much of the honesty that first made me follow Sharon. And it might leave you looking a little deeper in a good way. I promise. Sharon, will you remind uh-huh. me where you all are based out of? Durham, North Carolina. Durham, so like North Raleigh, Durham. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're yep. not you're not too far from me. How long have you all been leading Bright City? Three years. Mm-hmm. You and your husband serving together, leading mm-hmm. together, just on like the personal side of it. What mm-hmm. is it like? I mean, you work together and you live together. How does that play out? Like what are the things that are really great about it? And what mm-hmm. are some of yeah. the like friction points? Yeah. So leading together is is really hard. It's good and it's hard. Like part of the reason we're leading together is it was really important to my husband. No one is a bigger advocate for me than my husband. Mm. He really believes in my gifts, sees my gifts, feels as my husband, he's called by God to steward my gifts. He was the one who said, you know, we live in an area that is, it's one of the most highly educated areas in the country. We've got three major universities here. We have Research Triangle Park. And so women around here are professors. They are doctors. They are attorneys. They are CEOs. And so he said that's an act of stewardship for the women in this community. He has been hugely, hugely supportive. But I think what makes it really tricky is figuring out when 
is my wife's hat on and when is my pastor hat on? Honestly, like 99% of the time, he wants wife mode. Mm -hmm. So that has been difficult to figure out because I will, yeah, I want to go into kind of co-labor mode. And very often he just wants support. Mm -hmm. You know, he wants encouragement. And so that has been difficult. It's been hard just figuring out like our different gifts even he is the lead pastor but I like looking kind of from like a high level and can kind of see like where things are going and what needs to change he is much more he's a true pastor Mm -hmm. honestly and so I think it's taken some time for us to figure out what our individual gifts are Mm -hmm. and how they they align and at the same time at the end of the day he is the lead pastor Mm -hmm. and so me releasing control, you know? So that has, has been a journey, but thankfully we have a really good marriage counselor. (laughs) As we all should have, you know, we all need one of those in our back pockets. Yeah. We've had her for 11 years. Really Mm -hmm. well. And so that has been really, and that's, I mean, my advice to anyone who plays the church is get a marriage counselor. If you don't have one already, get a marriage counselor. Yeah. Especially just with the strains of ministry in general. I was describing it to someone the other day. You're always on. It's never not happening. Mm-hmm. You know, there's yeah. never someone yeah. who doesn't need you or want to talk to you or or whatever else. But, you know, and I don't know if you're this way in all of your relationships, but in just the opportunity to follow you on socials and read the books that you've written, all of that. I think what I admire the most is your honesty across just all situations, right? Mm-hmm. And it's especially striking on the social platforms because it's less about, you know, the feel good, which I think... There's a lot of that on there where it's just this, you read one thing and it makes you feel good for a minute, Mm -hmm. but you're more about this authentic growth, you know, these questions and statements that don't give just a hit of joy, but they invite you into a time of just deeper reflection. Like you've really got to unpack it for a second. You can't just read Mm -hmm. it and keep going. Mm -hmm. Have you always been, you know, a call it as you see it kind of person? Yeah, I've definitely always been that way. I, I think, you know, I mentioned someone saying that my husband's the shepherd and I'm the prophet. And I've I've always had that prophetic gift. And I think it's important to define what I mean by that. I actually just did, right before this, I did a whole video to uh, a writing group about how to write prophetically. And it was really clear, like, this doesn't mean fortune telling. You know, it doesn't mean, like, telling the future. It doesn't mean having you know, wild, crazy dreams that you're like, this is what this means. You know, that's not what what we're talking about. When we look at the Old Testament and the work of the prophets, they are correctors. You know, they are looking at ways that God's people have strayed from God's vision and teaching for them. And so whatever is you think of um, kind of like a, a tree is God's law, but then maybe kudzu has kind of like grown up around it and the, perf- the prophets would come in with like pruning shears and just, you know, clear all that kudzu off. And that is the work of the prophet is, is identifying where have we engaged in false teaching and false hmm. practice and just naming that. And so I think I've always been gifted for that. But honestly, leading a church has really helped me to do it with much more humility mm-hmm. and understanding that the world is not nearly as like black and white as I thought it was when I was 22 mm-hmm. and things are complicated and people are complicated. There's, you know, so many different things to keep in mind. And also I'm a huge, huge sinner. And so to not stand over, you know, that was another thing that mm-hmm. I Anytime now I see someone standing over other people, I'm like, I don't think you understand how big of a sinner you are yet. Like, God will teach you, but I just don't think you know yet. 
So that has really helped me, I think, to write with a lot more nuance and care Mm -hmm. is just through years of ministry and understanding God's huge, beating, compassionate heart for people has really softened my tone. I love the distinction of what you mean when you say prophet and prophetic, because we do lump it in to at this point into like what you said, you can see the future. God's given you a dream, you know what's going to happen. But I think a lot of that is just a huge gift of discernment as well. You know, just being able to see the nuances of a situation Mm -hmm. and how it could potentially play out. But I think what first got my attention was how you talk about this self-focus, right? So even when you're speaking into the lives, you even just said, I don't think you get yet that you are a sinner, you know, like (laughs) you're only seeing the best parts of yourself right now. You're or the parts that you think are (laughs) like this, that bring out what you think is righteous anger when really it's just anger that has no real purpose, right? But just this, we are a a generation, I think, coming up and even behind us where it's easy to fall into that self-focus and we get so trapped into I've heard it said like uh phrase navel gazing. We're like we're just looking mm-hmm. at ourselves. Our vision yeah. for what could be gets real small because we only mm-hmm. see right now and what's happening yeah. to us. So what made you think, okay, this is more than just something I'm thinking about. I'm going to write a book about this because most of your books are kind of focused around this. Hey, let's stop looking at ourselves. Let's stop being so fixated on us. So what are some just red flags maybe that you need to turn your gaze outward a little bit more? Yeah. So the journey for me, and, and I write about this in Free of Me, was, you know, I've been in ministry for a number of years, but I started comparing myself to other people. And then for the the metaphor I use is running a race. You know, you imagine you're running a race and ideally your just eyes are fixed on the finish line and you're just running the best of your ability. But I started looking at women, you know, running next to me and comparing myself to them or looking at women a few paces ahead of me and needing acknowledgement and affirmation from them. And if I didn't compare well, or if I didn't get acknowledgement, I was just shattered. Mm-hmm. And I was no longer like doing the work of ministry. I lost the inherent joy of it. And I became really insecure. And so that was when I thought, okay, what, you know, what's going on here? And so I started looking into, you know, insecurity. Like I, I started researching about insecurity, reading books about it, articles, blogs, you know, what does the Bible say about me? You know, what does God think about me? What, what are the good truths that I can speak over myself? Affirmations, biblical affirmations. And so I did that for, you know, months and months. And I realized at the end of it that it had not helped at all. <laughs> yes. And I was just as, you know, insecure as I ever was. And that was when I realized I needed to back up and reapproach this whole problem, asking a different question. Because I realized that there's some other cause of my insecurity and all Mm -hmm. of this stuff is not touching it for some reason. And what I asked, the new question that I asked when I reapproached was not, you know, what does scripture say about me and how like great I am? But instead, when people in scripture who are dealing with insecurity went to God, what did God say to them? And that was the beginning of just kind of a revolution for me personally, because what I saw again and again with Moses, you know, with Jeremiah, with so many people that God calls and they express their sense of inadequacy, God didn't say, Moses, you know, you're, you're so special, you know, like, 
you're so gifted. You you have all this potential. Like Moses, look at your background. Look at your pedigree. You were raised in the palace. You're grown to be a leader. Like of all the people I could have chosen, you're actually the best. That's why I chose you. You know, that's not what God says. God says, who gave human beings their mouths? Mm-hmm. You know, who who teaches them to speak? And, you know, is it not I, the Lord? And so he very much in that moment is saying, you know, you're coming to me saying, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. And I'm saying, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I know, I know. In her book, Women of the Word, Jen Wilkins, she talks about God changing the subject off of Moses's inability and onto God's ability. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge light bulb moment for me where I realized that there's two kinds of insecurity, but we only talk about one, which is low self-esteem. And that is, I would define that as not seeing yourself biblically, not seeing yourself truthfully. And that is real and important in the gospel mm-hmm. answers that. I mean, God cares about that. He loves us and wants to heal us and for to make us whole. But there's a second cause of insecurity that we almost never talk about. And that is self-preoccupation. Mm-hmm. And what you see with, with men like Moses, like Jeremiah, you know, it paralyzes them because they think that they're the hero of the story. Hmm. You know, it that self-preoccupation, it raises the stakes. They think everything is about them. And, and that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not meant to live that way. And the irony is, if that is what's causing your insecurity, but you try and treat it like the problem is low self-esteem by just speaking affirmation of yourself, what you're doing is you're actually reinforcing the problem instead of correcting it. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened with me. That's why it wasn't helping me. Mm-hmm. It is my self-esteem was actually fine. Like I was fine. You know, like if anything, I was probably like a little too narcissistic. <laughs> I, was, I liked myself um, a little too much. <laughs> yeah. Like I was totally fine. Like I grew up in like a really healthy family. Mm-hmm. And my parents always affirmed me and, you know, all that. It was that my focus was off. That was the problem. Mm-hmm. And so that was realizing that and then walking out the implications of that in a way that was actually helpful. Because, you know, it's one thing to say, like, you just need to focus on bad work. Who knows how to do that? That's, yeah. like, impossible. Like, of course, we all know that. But how do you do that? But walking that out was probably second to my salvation the single greatest liberation of my faith. Mm-hmm. Well, because it's a pressure release, too. I mean, when God was like, well, yeah, no, you're not good enough. Like, hey, God, I can't do this. Yeah. No, you can't. <laughs> you can't. We were we did an event all summer through the podcast called The Collective. And so we would go uh-huh. and I would share a little bit. And then we would have this panel of women and they would talk about what they're walking through, the seasons they've walked through that can equip those who are coming behind them. And we were driving one day. My husband would help me set it up at a local coffee shop every week. And I just started crying, Sharon. Like, I just lost my mind in the passenger seat, just sobbing. And I just looked at Ryan and I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, I don't. These women are going to show up and they want something for me that I can't give them. And I don't I don't have it for them. And he looked at me and he was like, you don't have it. And I was offended. I was like, excuse you. Like, you're supposed to say Yes, you do. You can do this. Yeah. You're so, you know, yeah. I was so offended. And he was like, you don't and you haven't had it. And that's yeah. going to have to be Jesus is going to have to step in on your behalf. And the minute you think it's yeah. only you, that's a problem. Um, yeah, that's that's so wise for him to say that, because I think that whenever our friends come to us and are feeling insecure about something that God has called them to, I think our inclination is to say, no, like, you're so great. You're so talented. Like, you can do it. 
And I think there is a place for that, you know, if, if someone's believing lies about themselves. But at the same time, that can unintentionally create even more pressure mm-hmm. where it's kind of saying like, no, like you, you can and you will, you know, show up and be awesome and amazing. And it's kind of that's like, oh, great. You know, now like I have to do it, you know, yes, for you, as you're talking about that, when you learned this, this new strategy, which I love when you can look back and see points where God just completely shifted your perspective, right? When like you started thinking about what you do completely differently. But Mm -hmm. I also know that I carry I personally carry a burden for those who are coming behind me mm-hmm. um, behind mm-hmm. us and mm-hmm. wanting so bad to help make a path for them so that maybe they don't have to come up as hard against what I've had to come up against. So yeah. when you turn around and look at those who are coming behind you, what do you say to them? It, it takes some discernment to know, is this about low self-esteem or is this self, about self-gratification? And I think that discernment takes place best in community. And there's been times where I've spoken about this topic and I have been rightly, you know, corrected by women at other churches. You know, remember there there are some women who genuinely have been lied to their entire life. And the wounding that they're feeling is not self-focused, but they've been told that it is. They they've mm-hmm. even been told like you're just selfish, you know, that you are are you know, making things about you that are not about you, that sort of a thing and that was a lie. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really important to be careful with with even this message to say that that you if you're genuinely hurting because of something that happened to you or was done to you that that is not about self-focus it's Mm -hmm. it's not now i i think that it's it's good to in terms of your thought life examine is what i'm believing about myself is this possibly a lie that needs to be corrected with truth Mm -hmm. but also if if what I'm believing about myself is just, you know, me centered, you know, it, it could just be like a lot of insecurity. What we see with Moses, with Jeremiah, the things they were insecure about were actually not lies. You know, for Moses to think like, I'm not good at speaking. I can't do this. I mean, he was correct. Mm-hmm. He, he probably has speech impediment. Jeremiah was very young. You know, he's young to be leading. And then realistically, what, what they did, Moses could not have parted the Red Sea on his own. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's also a lot of self-talk that isn't based in a lie. It's just very me-centered, you know? Mm-hmm. Like even stuff like, why did they, you know, leave me out? Why wasn't I invited? You know, those kinds of things, like that's not based on a lie. It's just a me-centered, you know, thought. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that was really important to identify that when I'm spiraling with those me thoughts about what's wrong with me, you know, to intentionally find a way to redirect my focus back onto God. And so mm-hmm. for me, practically speaking, that meant I went looking through what are all the attributes of God and just found verses and wrote them down in the list. And I would just recite those until I had very intentionally restored my focus onto God instead of myself. And then I'd put my phone away. That's where I kept it with my notes app. And then, you know, inevitably my mind would kind of drift back self-word again as I'd pull it back and out and read through it. But it really like the more I did it, it's that neuroplasticity, yep. you know, the more you do it, it mm-hmm. really helps to actually change you. Yeah. And so that was what I 
did. And it was very simple, but it really, really helped. And just developing those disciplines early. Like, hey, I know I struggle with this. I know this is a problem. Here's something that I can do and a discipline that I can form so that when Mm -hmm. I have these thoughts, this is what I do in response every single time. But even the affirmations, I know we talked about friends who will come to us and be like, no, you're great. A lot of that comes from just this desire to be liked, I would say. You know, you want to keep... You want to keep the peace. You want to keep a level playing field that's easy to come in and out of. And I mean, okay. I know I've struggled with that in whatever relationship or circumstance. I just, I want to keep everyone happy. Like everyone's fine. Uh-huh. We're all okay here. And I've heard uh-huh. you refer to this as nice faith, just this overall uh-huh. need to be liked at all times. Can you yeah. define that just a little more and what it actually looks like when it plays out? Yeah. So nice Christianity is what many of us are discipled into in the South, you know, in Mm -hmm. the Bible Belt is we are very good at looking good. We know how to look like a really good Christian. We know how to give all the right answers and to, you know, put on a certain appearance when we go to church. And I think we can even deceive ourselves by it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm a good Christian because I do all these things. But underneath, we are, you know, withering inside. Here in Durham, we actually talk about a lot because it is probably one of the greatest obstacles between people and actually flourishing in Mm. Christ. You know, actual freedom in Christ is that you have been so deeply discipled into the performative Christianity that you don't realize you're not actually thriving Mm -hmm. in Christ. Mm-hmm. What does the difference look like? So just in everyday life, what are some of the attributes of someone who's kind of can find themselves in the performative side more so than like the deep rooted, mm-hmm. authentic relationship? Yeah. Well, thankfully, Jesus gives us that that diagnostic tool. So he says you can know a tree by its fruit. Mm-hmm. And I love that because you can look at, you know, you think like two trees that look exactly the same. And, and one of the analogies I use is like a Christmas tree. You know, if you have, because evergreens, they stay green a long time. And so if you have two evergreens, one that is planted in the ground and one that has been uprooted, you stand them side by side, they will look the same for a really long time. Mm -hmm. But over time, you know, the, the truth, you know, begins to show. So, but looking at the fruit is really helpful. And so the fruit of nice Christianity is going to be you know, inauthenticity. It's going to be self-righteousness. It's going to be cowardice because we're not really about being obedient when it costs us. Mm. Nice Christianity is really about you. It's about serving you. And so you're going to back down when it actually costs you. One question I get a lot is, what is the difference between niceness and kindness? Mm. Mm-hmm. And there was a book by a guy named, I believe, Barry Corey, and I think it's called Love Kindness. And he has this brilliant comparison where he says, niceness, think of it as having a squishy center and soft edges. Harshness has a hard center and hard edges. Kindness has a a firm core with the soft edges of, you know, gentleness and and love and, you know, Mm -hmm. patience, but it has that firm core because it has conviction. Mm. And so it doesn't just collapse, you know, when it's pushed back up against. And in terms of what that means, then like, how do you diagnose that in yourself? 
is how do you respond when your niceness isn't reciprocated? Mm. Because niceness, even though it seems to be about other people and God, it's really about you. It's fundamentally self-serving. It is, how do I get the world to be a better place to me? Mm-hmm. Niceness, you know, nice being a nice Christian girl. Kindness is motivated by obedience to God. So mm-hmm. love of God and love of others. And so niceness betrays itself when you're nice to the grocery store checkout person or your neighbor or, you know, even like a family member when they don't reciprocate and the niceness then flips into shock and entitlement and resentment. How could they treat me that way? Mm -hmm. Because I was so nice to them. But kindness, it was never about eliciting a particular response. It's just about being faithful to God. And Mm. so regardless of how they respond, you continue to do it because that's what it means to look like Christ. And so that's been really honestly personally convicting to me. Like I'm nice to somebody and they don't reciprocate. And then I'm like, what's their deal? You know, what's their problem? And I'm literally thinking about the public's checkout yesterday when the girl was like really hurried and just wanted me to move along. And I would be like, no, you're going to be nice to me. Like, I'll stand here until you're nice back to me. Right. I wanted to demand a niceness out of her. My favorite is people that are like, I'm going to be, I'm going to keep being nice to you. I'm going to keep being nice to you because I'm going to get you to like me. Mm-hmm. And then if they're just not playing that game, then suddenly at some point, it's like they have violated this unspoken social contract. Yes. And they are the devil. Yep. You know, it's like, we don't like you. No one's going to like you. I'm going to make sure no one likes you at this point. Yeah. yeah. I, I just have never thought about the distinction between those two things of niceness uh-huh. and kindness, because, you know, uh-huh. I'm lecturing the kids all the time about kindness, kindness, kindness. But I love uh-huh. being able to take it a step uh-huh. further. It's almost similar to grace. You're being kind and you're not expecting uh-huh. anything back from that person. You're not yeah. expecting them to return anything to you. Well, and the thing with our kids that I think also really helps us to crystallize this is niceness is a lot like an ornament you hang on a tree. You know, it's it's superficial. It's, it's not growing from the tree. Mm-hmm. It's just a decoration. But kindness is a fruit of the spirit that, mm-hmm. that grows. And that distinction has been really helpful for me in thinking about my kids because, yeah, I'm, I'll say, you know, initially I would, I'd stop saying be nice and I would say be kind. But even in that, like, what does that mean? You know, this is something that needs to be cultivated in mm-hmm. them. And, and that it's going to grow from their relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so having that much broader game plan in terms of with my kids, I can tell them all the live long day to, you know, be kind, be kind, be kind. And obviously as their mom, there is some extent to which I am teaching them that, but to also know at the end of the day that this needs to be something that is growing out of them and their relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. And that is what I need to be especially cultivating. Yeah. Parenting parenting's just hard, Sharon. You know, it's just, it's hard. You've got to figure this stuff out. And you're like, wait, I'm actually learning these things at the same time. And I've got to pass them yeah. on. You know, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm not, I mean, I, that's like all the only like parenting advice I'm going to give because I'm <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm doing. Please don't no take idea. your cues from me. I figure it out day by day. But just... We did like in the car the other day, we were doing like Bible trivia with our kids and it was so bad. Like <laughs> my six-year-old guessed Moses for everything. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. As we head towards wrapping this up, when you look back, is there anything that you're like, I wish I had learned this sooner? That's a good question. So this is probably not the most like spiritual answer. And this is going to sound like very, very random, but 
suffering and even sanctification are really ugly and messy and undignified. And I, I think when I was younger, when I was really hurting, and there's an aspect of suffering that's actually really humiliating and like mm-hmm. undoing. I think you feel like you should be able to be a good Christian means you should walk through it with your head held high and just be really dignified. But I think that that is what makes suffering so hard is Mm -hmm. you can't, you're just completely undone. Mm -hmm. But when I was younger, just going through some hard things, there was this added insult of just feeling like such a mess in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. And I guess I just want to say that if you're going through something hard and you also feel like you're just such a mess in it, it's know that like, no, that's actually just what suffering is. Mm -hmm. That's just what hard things are. Mm -hmm. And so to not have added shame heaped on you because Mm -hmm. of that. I think it goes back to exactly what you said earlier, especially in the South. We have a a very pretty Christianity that we're taught and that we go Mm -hmm. into. And when it gets messy and yucky. We think we have to hide that and that suffering is in the sanctification process is not meant to be pretty and it's not meant to be something that you're excited about or want to be a part of necessarily all the time. Yeah. But yeah. Hey, we end every single episode with one question and some people hate it. Some people love it. But what's something that you're so happy someone did tell you about? This can be anything. This can be a drink that you love from Starbucks. This can be, Mm -hmm. you know, like a snack. This can be a makeup. This can be a show. It can be anything. Something I'm so happy that someone told me about. Yes. Okay. I have another, this is also like very random, but this is going to like change your life. I'm so excited right now. So, and it's, it's going to change your life in a very insignificant way, but it's, (laughs) but it still matters. It still matters. (laughs) (laughs) So I saw this on Instagram, but whenever you do your laundry, so you know, your little like plastic cup, you put the detergent in and then you pour the detergent into the washing machine, then throw that plastic cup in with the wash. So you're not wasting it. Well, no. So that like, so what happens with me with those plastic cups is I'll pour it out, but then the detergent, the residue builds up after a while. But if you just throw the cup in with the wash, it just washes it all out. And so at the end of the load, you pull that cup out and it's like sparkling clean. And then I just put it back up on the shelf. Sharon, why aren't we telling each other more of these things? You know, I just feel like these are important things we need to know. It makes me so happy when I reach out for a clean you know, little cup. cup. Yes, because With it all no just gets detergent residue. Yeah, it like gets gunky. Because there's and always gooey. some left over around the edges. Yeah, but if you just throw it in the wash with your laundry every time, then it cleans it out. Sharon, you're out here changing lives. I mean, if Isn't you've ever amazing? wondered, if you wondered if you're changing lives, let it be known by that last Isn't like that two amazing? minutes. <laughs> it's like such a small thing, but it's like really good. I love it. Hey, Sharon, before we go, let people know where they can find you. And I know you just finished another book, right? That's coming in the Mm -hmm. near, in the near future. So how we can find Uh, out more about that. It's coming out in August. Yeah. Cause you had to finish Mm -hmm. it and now it has to go through Mm -hmm. the whole process, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm editing it right now. What's it like (laughs) to write that many books? We don't have to get into that. I'm just amazed. Like you're just turning books around and I'm like, this is, I don't know how you have time to be a parent. And I don't either. (laughs) I think when my kids are older, my books will definitely be better. That's for sure. I love it. All right. Where can we find you, Sharon? I'm most active on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So I would say just Sharon H. Miller. And it's such a great follow. I mean, especially like if you just want the happy, easy stuff, maybe take a breather. But when you're ready for some personal growth, Mm -hmm. I'm going to need you. Do you want someone to like bully you? (laughs) Yes. You know, I'm like, I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> if you want to really change, now's the time. Push the follow button. It'll be great. Now, Sharon, thank you so much for making this happen. I know that schedules are crazy, but I'm so grateful for what you do on behalf yes, of the kingdom. Yes, it worked out. Yes, it's a good time. Thanks, Sharon. <laughs>